Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. I had always had at the back of my mind, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have an organisation that could really create a positive script for teenagers and kids on autism and reverse the negative script that is out there and change that whisper behind kids and make that positive. Episode 6, Rethinking Autism, Positivity and Changing Lives, Part 2 with Chris Varney. Chris Varney is the founder and CEO of the first of its kind ICANN Network. Chris's vision of a rethink of autism is a shift from a deficit-focused approach to a strengths-based one and one that has touched and benefited the lives of thousands of individuals with autism. In this episode, we hear about how Chris made his dream of changing lives come true. And we're back. The Village Lantern Squad is here. Anna, what's up? Ah, uh, nothing. Just, I mean, is anything up with you? I wish there was more to say. Look, it's mm. not its not particularly the most thrilling times in our lives at the moment. Any, mm. Anything interesting uh, happening in the, in the household? I mean, you don't want to know. I feel like for anyone who's not from Melbourne, you're not going to get it. Anyone in Melbourne, you're going to get it. And obviously Melbourne's been in lockdown for a long time, so everyone's just locked down. And uh, some days are okay, some days crap, but I feel like let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this awesome interview because it's probably much more interesting. And we back. We back with part two. Chris Varney is back. It's very exciting. We know that you guys absolutely loved when he first was on here. Um, And we knew that was going to happen. So we preemptively split his uh, recording into two and we've got the back half here. And this one's so inspiring. I mean, of course, the first one, Chris is such great company, but in this one, we really hear about the work that he's done around advocacy and changing lives for young autistic people. And I mean, he's just a legend. So be inspired. Enjoy. Amazing. And unfortunately, I am missing from this one as well from my Sydney rendezvous. So I'm sorry, Absence. I'll miss you guys, but I'll be back next week. Enjoy this though. Can you tell us about ICANN? So that's how I, I discovered you through your TED Talk and through my stalking I've discovered that you, really that TED Talk kind of catapulted you, is that right, into ICANN? Completely. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so the, the TED, I mean, the TEDx was um, amazing to develop with my family and friends and then I had always had at the back of my mind, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have an organisation that could really create a positive script for teenagers and kids on autism and reverse the negative script that is out there and change that whisper behind kids Mm. and make that positive. Very much around what Mrs Horvath um, did for me. And there is this moment when you're an adult and you find your vocation where you work out, oh, this would be amazing, and then you actually make a decision. Well, 
if it's not me, who is it going to be that does that? Mm. So I was in Dublin. I was, I'd finished my law degree and I was out with a mate and I looked at the response to the TEDx and there'd been 15,000 hits mm. in only like two months or so. If for anyone, it'll be in our show notes, but it's so worth a watch. I've watched it many times. It's just, it's That's, really worth a watch. Thanks. Um, but I looked at that and thought, well, I need to do something. And he said, but are you ready? And the, the message out there, if you're a parent and you want to do something, you're never ready. You're never ready no. at all. There's never, no such moment like that. So on September 13, September 19, 2013, yeah, I ran the first I Can meeting with fantastic friends, James and Penny, and we were three autistic adults that said, let's set this network up. So one thing led to another. We ran camps for autistic adults and then we were running camps for autistic teenagers and then we were running a school program and then we had autistic staff. So it is, it's now 50 staff and, yeah, I'm a CEO and there's 38 autistic staff and I love my job. Yes. It is amazing. We, we get to mentor 1,500 autistic and neurodivergent students. So it's, that's run through school mentoring programs and online mentoring programs. But it is amazing. So it is. It's amazing and it's awesome. Um, how do you, what is your operating model? So how do you, how do schools find you? How do they connect with you? Like how, you know, because there's so many schools. I mean, you, yes. you know, sort of. We work in our school program is very much functioning on word of mouth. So mm. positive showcases of the program. It's group mentoring for autistic or neurodivergent or socially anxious students in high schools and primary schools across Queensland and Victoria. And do you, is it a program? How long does it run yeah, for? Yeah, great question. It's 10 hours of mentoring a year. Mm-hmm. And so it's 10 group mentoring sessions. Um, and we have obviously prep planning debrief around that one hour of group mentoring. Schools can opt for five hours, 10 hours, 15 hours. Um, they're called sessions in our structure. And yeah, the school works out what works for them. Some really invest and go, this is making a difference to the confidence, belonging and connection of students at our school. So let's have two programs. Others just want to dip their toe and see what it's like and maybe learn from there. And so how many kids in the group-ish? Up to 16 in a single mentoring session. Yeah. And do the schools advertise it? The children self-nominate? It's a very, um, every school's journey to get there Mm. is different. So... Typically, we would deliver a parent night mm-hmm. um, for a group of parents who've received an invitation. They come and listen to us and they feel a bit more comfortable and then they would register their student and no student walks through the door very willingly at the beginning. Some do, but everyone's very apprehensive. The mm. first group mentoring sessions like ice. But mm. then when they meet their mentor who obviously has... Or their own autistic quirks can relate to having a high focus in some areas, anxiety in other areas, and just seeking positive identity. Those things hit such a tone with the students that they, yeah, a lot of them do lean in. And we have an incredibly broad range of students. We have students who are non speaking, students with intellectual delays, students with. ODD or ADHD. Mm. We have students who 
are very confident but use the program to develop leadership skills. Mm. It's an incredibly diverse program and in a very purposeful way we have done that. And after they've completed a program, mm. do they ever get the opportunity to do it to do to do more? Yeah, some students have been in the program four or five years. Yep. And so we have different stages. Stage one is your foundational outcomes and stage two we start to give you more leadership opportunities. And then if you want to, we offer employment mm. for some students That's that amazing. finish year 12. And so 15 of my 38 autistic staff um, are former students in the program. And siblings, I can imagine, would also be fantastic people to be to be involved in that. I mean, I... Definitely. The, um, in, from a... Um, I mean, it, is the ethos to have the mentors are all autistic themselves or they have their own neurodivergence? Yeah, they're to have a connection with yep. neurodivergence. Mm. So these, I mean, some of their mentors are not autistic mm. and they still like their workplace. It's, um, it is about that connection and understanding. Mm. So... And their ability to make their mentee comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. And it, again, on the philosophy of this awesome teacher I had, Mrs. Horvath, she was not an expert in autism. Mm. She, was, she wasn't going to a thousand different autism PDs or anything mm. like that. She was just a good person with relationships and she loved developing young people. So that yeah. very much is our philosophy. And what about teachers? We deliver workshops for teachers and they're unique because when... I think autism training out there, just to get on my soapbox for a second, mm. can be very dry, mm-hmm. it can be very theory-based and it can often be very primary school focused. Mm-hmm. I don't find that our autism training has been attuned enough mm. to the teenage experience of students who are autistic or neurodiverse. Well, I think I, think I might have mentioned this in an email to you. I would also... I think there's an opportunity to upskill people mm. who work with kids. So, yes. you know, um, yep. if they're running holiday programs, if they're running any sports, you know, events, if they're babysitters, if they're nannies, if they're even if they're working in the household. Yeah, I um, I did um, trauma informed training recently because wow. I was working with a social enterprise that required that. But I think it's almost that model is you could call it autism-informed training or something yes. and have different sort of levels of education depending on what that individual uh, needs to understand, mm. you know. Um, for me, I feel like there's a big opportunity for that. Oh, yeah, there's hu- there's so much here. Even an accreditation of some sort. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if that's possible, but then parents can feel assured when they get a babysitter, they don't have to do the brief, you know. Yeah, uh, Let me just tell you, da 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 you know, yeah. and not quite, now there's no guarantees, of course, because every child, like any kid, may or may not um, respond well to a babysitter or a helper. But def- I mean, babysitting and help is one of the reasons I came to this because I was working and I struggled to find people who could tolerate my kids. Not just, I mean, I think my youngest is, he's definitely got some autistic traits. Maybe he will end up actually with a diagnosis. I don't know. My middle has ASD and ADHD and my oldest has ADHD. So they're all very lively they're awesome. awesome. They're funny. Yeah, yeah. They're really bright and they're great to be around, but they're also wild children. And we, my husband and I are very, um, we're not super disciplinary, like in our personalities, but also um, 
Yeah, I think, and that, so that means that we don't have them on a tight rope, you know. Mm. It's a little bit crazy mm. and that's, that's our that's family. That's good. That's your family. But yeah. for a lot of people that's almost too much. And I was, the babysitters that I could find, when I say babysitter, I need someone to help drop off and pick up in the afternoon, come home, afternoon teach, just normal babysitting stuff. But it's so many times either... Um, when I would describe what I need, they'd be like, I'm out. Or yeah. they'd say, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then very quickly they're like, I'm out. Mm. Or they would do it but just not be doing a good job and then I would be worrying about the safety because they were quite young at that age. And the success I had with babysitters were either um, either they had a sibling who was autistic and so they understood they could tolerate some of the outbursts and the, some of the abusive language and stuff that happens or they were an OT or a speech student who just had a natural inclination to understand communication with kids and what sort of things are effective. And so I started to think, well, why can't we tap into that group of people and sort of upskill them and let them become, you know, um, this sort of specialised helper for the families that need, they need, we need, and even if you're just at home, you just sometimes need another adult around to like, there's only, we've got three kids and two adults mm. and often my um, husband's at work. I was at work a lot. I've, you know, it's been different during COVID, but having people who understand yeah. and love. Yes, love. Is, you know? The love. The is, love. You've got to feel that. Yeah. I yeah. do find though it's that- It's awesome what you've done, Anna. Congrats. Well, I haven't done it yet. I'm doing it now. I'm yeah, you're doing it now. It, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to be relentless about it because I've had quite a few people contact me who I don't know saying, thank you for explaining this. I'm in that situation now and they're at different levels of kind of acceptance or whatever. Mm. But I just, mm. I think that there's mm. a really, um, there's a big gap in trying to create love and community for- Very true. Families. Very true. Mm. And going in it with that important frame of love. Yeah. Yeah. I would really encourage you there. Yeah, thank you. Well, tell me what your plans are for ICANN. So how many schools at the moment? Like what's the, do you have like schools on the books and then you move on and what's the? Good question. Got like- it's very much um, based on a school. It's So the aspiration is to create school communities that embrace autism. Mm. And we currently work in up to about 90 Victorian schools. Wow. So 47 of them are government schools and the remainder are Catholic or independent schools. Yes, right. And then in Queensland we work with 18 schools, predominantly government schools in Queensland. How did you skip New South Wales? <laughs> yes, New South Wales. It was at the time in 2015, 2016, there were a lot of similarities between the Victorian Department of Education and the Queensland Department of Education. Right. They were both departments that had brought out reports on how they could improve. And so we kind of, we were in the right place at the right time. Um, government was calling out in two different states, we don't have a good track record on students with disability in schools. And so we kind of, we answered the moment really mm. for both states. There's two places I want to go with that comment. Yes, I One can imagine. Is the question just the the notion of disability? Yes. So, do you consider autism a disability? It's a. The short answer is yes at a macro level, mm. and then there's the personal answer of. I would feel uncomfortable if I said out in public, I have a disability. Right, why? I'll give the 
macro answer first. Mm -hmm. I do think, yes, autism is a disability. Um, In the finance funding conversation, the NDIS does have 30% of its claimants who have autism. Is that right? Mm, Overwhelmingly. I should have known that. It's it's probably higher, I think. But overwhelmingly, the NDIS, which was set up, you know, in the Mm. last decade, are... unexpectedly has had a huge number of claimants with autism. So the the NDIS was set up and then social understanding of autism grew rapidly mm. and that was never what I'd say the federal government expected. Mm. So that has pushed a lot of, we've seen guidelines on how do you diagnose autism come out because the, the government's hip pocket has been felt a bit more around the NDIS plans. But so, the guidelines were already there, though, for how to diagnose. Well, they, there wasn't an Australian guide. So we've got an Autism Cooperative Research Centre that has now published guidelines to inform diagnosis, and that's come from a evidence-based process, and that's good. To replace the DSM or uh, alongside? No, it's a – sorry, I, I'll qualify. It's not to replace the DSM, it's to guide the practice of Australian practitioners. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. – yeah, it's a safeguard yep. um, out there to inform good practice in diagnosing. But I'm not an expert in mm. this. Mm. I'm just filtering that through my understanding. So I've got experts who've you've got about experts. Good, good. seek good. them out. And you don't have to do that. Seek them out. So, yeah, it is a disability. Mm. But the movement, there are different angles that we can come at. So, when people, especially. I talk in areas of autism. So if you're in that area of the spectrum where you've got incredible hypersensitivities and you've got a language difference, so you might be non-speaking mm. and you have, uh, you might get to your footpath from leaving your home and feel extraordinary anxiety and have a need for a, stru- a lot of structure and support around you, um, I used to live with someone who was non-speaking. So, you know, he would say, yes, I have a disability. Mm. And that helped me a lot to learn how he wanted to refer to the language. Mm. So, but I guess when you look across the area of the spectrum, there are definite areas where people struggle to say, I have a disability. And I think this comes from how broad it is. Mm. So it's a, we're in a, period of time in 2020 where the movement is still working out what's Mm. the language we use Mm. because you've got a financial structure around NDIS in Australia which is saying autism is a disability. That's in ink, that's in legislation, that's a very transactional conversation now. But then you've got out there in people's hearts and minds this emerging conversation around neurodiversity Mm. which is saying that just like we have diversity in um, sexual preference, um, in gender, mm. in ethnicity, mm. you can also have the world has all sorts of different brains. Everyone is neurodiverse in some way. You are neurodivergent when you have a particular diagnosed neurodifference, mm. um, whether it's ADHD, whether it's autism, whether it's dyslexia, etc. And that community is inclusive of everyone who's autistic. So my mate, Tim Chan, who I have his consent to talk and to promote him, he says, I have severe autism, 
but he's also neurodiverse and part of the neurodiversity movement. Mm -hmm. The neurodiversity movement does not belong just to the Chris Varnies that look high functioning Mm. and, you know, very verbal. Mm. It belongs to everyone who's autistic. So it, it really does come down to the angles. You can have in that funding conversation, yes, autism is a disability, but in the, the hearts and minds of Australians, there is this emerging understanding of autism within a frame of neurodiversity that is more around the kind of social progress lens. It's just an, an moment, an issue that's come into its time and is being understood like any wave of difference, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It makes really good sense. What I'm noticing... Um, and I've been listening to Dylan Orcott's yes. podcast about disability and he and his friend Angus who is um, able-bodied so he doesn't identify as being disabled. Ang- um, Dylan's got a really um, strong passion about owning the word mm. disabled and trying to shift it as not being a negative connotation but because, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, it's pretty obvious. Right? Yes. And I, that's one of the things that I've been trying to focus on is the fact that these are hidden so it's not as easy to tell that maybe someone might be struggling for reasons that you might not understand Yes, because you look like someone else who might not have that and, and I'm trying to help build that awareness and I'm really grappling with the word disabled mm, because Dylan I is trying to shift, yeah. is starting to shift my thinking about that, that if you start to own it and say it's fine, it's, it's actually he talks about his pride around his disability good, and good. about how he thinks that it's actually made his life better. Yeah. And, when, and look, you're going to be, these success stories, um, we have to be careful with them because not everyone who is in a wheelchair is an Olympic tennis player and basketballer and, you know, um, Advocate, and not everyone who's autistic is, yes. you know, is able to run a company yes. and hire people and and change, you know, change lives. Mm. Um, so I know that there's there's a little bit of that. Um, we Spot don't on. only want people who fall into those categories to be the the high achieving ones, the mm. one offs, and not well, the, not but it, like in anyone, most of us are not remarkable. Most of us just live a life. Mm. Um, but I can see how if we owned the word disability, then we become a part of that broader group and we can then be proud of it and almost be, I think what Dylan's doing is making it like um, uh, the reason why he's who he is, it's core to his identity but in a positive way. And yeah. I think what you described about hard, when you go through something hard, it pushes you, it can, and I think that's a mindset. Struggle it gives purpose. pushes you to be more. Oh, absolutely. And to be, I think um, I also have intense empathy. I think it's mm. um, an ADHD factor, like so much so that, I, you know, my heart hurts for other people. Yeah, but that right. makes me, that makes me able and, and, and um, um, I think good at connecting with others and being able to hear their stories and being able to kind of share and, um, I don't know, I don't know, come together as humans. So I, I don't know the answer yet, but I, I, when I talk about my daughter, I, I, she asks, she says, I'm disabled. She says that. Mm, and I say. Good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have been saying it's not a disability. Right. Because I felt that when you think you have a disability, it becomes a mindset. 
Yes. But maybe if that bit shifts, if it's not the word, but it's what we associate it with. Yeah. And I know you said, I think it was. I did. In mm. your, was it in your TED talk that you said your mum never let you um, get away with not doing stuff? Mm. She never let your autism be a reason yeah. why not. Yeah. Well, there's lots in this area, I know. isn't there? I told um, you. <laughs> so. For the record, I agree with Dylan. Mm. I do think we need to develop pride and disability. I do too. Um, but it is important that the understanding of it is that this does not limit me, mm. this empowers me. Mm. That That's really important. So if Millie's feeling empowered with it, fantastic. That's yep. great. We want Millie to be the best she can be and yep. feel positive about herself. Um, in my personal story, where I'm at right now, I guess everyone is a bit informed by their surrounding. I was a young carer to my grandfather who mm. was profoundly physically disabled in a wheelchair for my whole life. Right. I took him to the toilet, I showered the man, I would put him to bed. How old were you? I was 11. I was 11 when I was able to do that, but he was my best mate and I loved the man intensely. He was such an encouraging, positive person and he he had a you know profound physical disability and it I just, when I say I'm not necessarily, yes, I'm, I'm proud to have autism and autism is a disability, but I, I don't get up at family Christmas and say I have a disability mm. because the family walked with my grandpa whose name was Bob and I, they would all know I had anxiety, they would all know I processed things differently, they would all know I had certain things that I was very sensitive about but... My cousin's a C4 quadriplegic and my grandfather had, you know, the whole left side of his body didn't work. So, you know, the family's understanding was that disability had this physical appearance. And that it was quite extreme. And that it was quite extreme. Yes, yeah. no one, had, no, 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 the, the, the cousin and the grandfather had ex, extreme yeah. forms. So in your family that <clears throat> was disability. That was disability. Yeah. And then we were, we had a beautiful neighbour, uh, who I will call Melanie, and Melanie had an intellectual disability and we looked after her. She mm. was part of our family. Mm. We looked after her every school holidays. Mm. So, But no, I'm not talking for weeks. I'm talking yeah. for a couple of nights to give their family respite. Yeah. Um, and so that was disability. Mm. And so I'm when I'm saying I'm not comfortable, it's more my I'm still processing how do I... How do I define that in my particular world mm. where those have been my expressions mm. of it? Because I didn't want to, um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm still I think working. I know what you're saying. I think yeah. you're saying you feel like you don't want to compare your life to theirs because you don't want to them to think that you think your life is as hard as their life. I don't want to overstate yeah. my issues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to be blunt, yeah. Yeah. Um, because my, you know, everyone, uh needed to make good accommodations for my grandpa mm. and people could do little things for me but I don't want to, I was raised in a family where you don't overstate things and that, mm. that was culturally what you did. You that's, didn't overplay it. Yeah. Um, very Australian. Very Australian. <laughs> very again. Australian. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes because I can see I can see movement now in yes. the, the conversation about autism and also the conversation about disability and I, it, I think it'll be really interesting to it see. It will be very you know, interesting because you... It's in a concerning place because you have uh, some people that define the neurodiversity conversation as just for the kind of Aspie-like mm. area oh, of the do spectrum. They? Yeah, it's they, factions. they, yes, yes, they do. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm saying no, autism is a disability, and we want the neurodiversity conversation to have all 
mm. the different areas of autism at the table. Yeah. There are increasing representations of mm. autism on public network television. Mm. Mm. So there's Employable Me. Yes. Which I thought was, I liked the way they did that. Yeah. And I'm, this is very much my personal view. There was, um, there's a couple of Australian stories, which I think are nice just to give a real, like an insight yeah. to a personal. There's also um, Love on the Spectrum. Discuss. <laughs> so. Did you watch that? Do you watch those? For the, for the record, um, I do think Employable Me led to lots of positive things. Mm, I think a lot of workplaces, a lot of families were drawn into stories that were real uh, and gave them, it inspired a lot of people in business Mm. to do different things and to make adjustments and I think it gave them a structure Mm. of what they could replicate. That's really important in business. And there, I think there are so many people who want to do something but they don't know they what. They don't know so what. So that's the so perfect that, that way. that gave them a story yeah. and they thought, I could be in the story. Yeah. That's great. Amazing. Fantastic. Uh, I do think there are a lot of shows out there with an autistic character. I think all of that is helpful do in you? one way, shape or another. Yeah. There are some more responsible representations but I, I do think the spectrum is so broad yeah, I mean, a director and a producer are choosing your very uh, quintessential view of autism, um, you know, some more updated versions of Rain Man um, mm. in some of their characters. Mm. My uh, issue or mm, I'm, I'll get to the issues. Yeah, yeah, but you go. Is that I want to know the purpose of the show. What yeah. are you trying to do? If mm. it's about building awareness mm. and understanding mm. of what autism is, then mm. then you can't make it for good viewing. It can't be about choosing characters that are eccentric or, you know, only characters that you're kind of really gripped with watching mm. because that's not representative. Yes, but media folk are so wired around what will mm. the Every Joe Blogs group and what are they going to watch and they just think in its, it yeah, they divorce it a bit from reality and they put it in the frame where people are at right now and they want and they want to feed that eccentricity. So, But then don't say that yes, you're doing it to build it, awareness. Yes, yes. You know, and then actually if you're doing it for entertainment, don't do it. Yeah. Right? No, you're spot on. Think- you're spot on, Anna. No, I, I agree with you. I do. Um, there are a lot of positive things I've seen in some of them, um, but... Not enough positive mm. there, I'll say that. The example that I've seen that I like is Josh Thomas. He did Please Like Me, um, mm. but he's done another one called Everything's Going to Be Okay and it's um, about a young man who reconnects with his dad who had a second marriage and had other children and um, he's dying, the dad. So he connects with this young man and says, can you come, I want you to come and, you know, and I actually want you to look after my girls because I'm yeah, dying. Yeah. And he's like, ah, uh, oh, what? Okay. And one of the daughters is autistic, but it's not the centre of the story. It's not about that. Mm. It just so happens that yeah. she is. Yeah, and yeah. I love that because yes. then she's just a character that you get to represent some of the things that she finds hard, but it's not about that. Yes, I love that too. I think that is a much more real and mm. helpful way mm. for people to understand how does it play out every day. Exactly. Yeah. No, we're on the same page with that. I, I just want to answer your question on love on the spectrum. I, I need to confess because I'm surrounded by so many autistic people, I do not seek out 
a media's representation mm. of it. I'm not of an evening I don't watch every autism show out there. Mm. I loved the Tim Fisher, Harrison Fisher aut- Australian story. Absolutely loved mm, it. I know the beautiful. family. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was it was the best media representation or media pic- portrayal of an autism family I've seen. It because was, it just shows love oh, and showed, him using his influence to, to, to share that love. It was lovely. They're an amazing family. So, but the love on the spectrum, for me, that kind of, I said no when they asked I can to provide participants. Uh, and I don't want to, um, we work with ABC, but... I just found the model behind that was looking at autistics as this subject of pity and that Mm. uh, goes back to my feeling as a kid of feeling difficult and pitied Mm. and so that immediately was a no for me Me because I just went, no, I can't, I'm not not backing this. So that's my personal view but... uh, And mm. what I'm sort of struggling with is I don't think they meant... I, I, no, don't I don't think know they meant that. if they meant to do that. I don't know. Mm. I, I doubt. I hope not. I doubt it. But I also think that it was just didn't really seem to be very well informed. I wondered, like, did they ask other autistic people to I think help they, direct it? Or I don't know. If I was the ABC and they were doing it, I would have asked autism organisations. And in Fanston they did. They mm. asked me. But I just, my team and I at the time, this was 2018, we went, no, this mm. is not us we are an extremely positive pro-autism, mm-hmm. autism acceptance or neurodiverse organisation. And so we were just, we were not really, we've, we've put a lot of um, badge on ABC initiatives like the ABC audio series on autism. We were very happy to support that. that. Yeah, that was a great series. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. But I, um, yeah, didn't quite come on board with Love on the Spectrum? Uh, it, uh, for me, as a parent, I just thought, well, firstly, they're only dating other autistics, which I thought was really kind of interesting. And like, inaccurate. That, you yeah. know, sure, I, and, um, and also I did feel like the characters were so eccentric and in their own rights, like fine mm. individuals, but to have them all together and to really yeah. only have each one of them was quite eccentric, mostly except for towards the end. Um, I just I found that because I know that that, sets um, an understanding or a representation about what people think autism is, I think it's just too narrow. Mm. Um, and the other one that was on recently was You Can't Ask That, you know, that show where they mm. have, and um, I just cried so hard when I watched it because I did feel like that, I think all of them said they feel really lonely, they, you know, they don't really have many mm. friends, hard to find a partner, and I just broke my heart, broke my heart. And maybe it's important to tell that story, but also I don't, think that that's also true, true of, everyone, of everyone, you know. No, it's not. And that is why, yeah, I mean, I th- profoundly believe if you operate in the positive and you have a positive script on it, it is so important. I mean, because I was that kid that transferred everything to me. Mm. If you are so, because I'm so focused on kids and young people, mm. I am always looking at what could put harm to that personal script they might develop mm-hmm. in their brains. Mm-hmm. So I'm always a person that is very relentless with that positivity. Mm. So, the, I mean, people have grabbed my collar at different times and gone, but you do need to talk about the struggles. And we do, but I, I just think 
if you can make sure that there's that positive microchip in a kid's head, and in my experience, I was someone that needed to have that that endless encouragement for probably 15 years before I took it up myself. So mm. because I know it takes that long, mm. I'm very, very precious about that. Yeah, and as a parent, I, I've and the same. And actually, I have had a similar thing of mm. um, <clears throat> feeling like a bit of a loser because of the certain things that my ADHD made hard for me and I didn't mm. know why. And I, it, it sounds a bit silly because I know on paper I probably look quite successful, um, but that's not how I felt. Yes, they're, they're exactly. Kind of separate things, yes, you know. Yes, totally. Yeah. And you, you look at your life and you go, this all adds up to a perception of success but the, yeah. <laughs> beneath the veneer. You I was paddling madly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm still at 44 yeah. working yeah. through those core beliefs about myself, right. yeah. you know, which um, my therapist is amazing. Mm. But, um, mm. you know, I think that's – and I think with my kids, they all go to the psychologist at different times mm. and I think – amazing for the young people to be able to get that kind of therapy early and learn yes. those tools early it's oh, harder to unpack when you're 44. It's hard. It's reve- <laughs> I had one therapy session of three weeks ago which was so revealing. I was like, oh, my gosh, I, yeah, I worked out. I have grown up with this stamp of I'm difficult mm. on my forehead mm. and now I have to change that yeah. outlook. Yes, mm. but it's so deep. It's so deep. Yeah. So That's the, what was revealing. Yeah, it's so yeah. deep. And I do think, yeah, the earlier that you can help kids with those notions. Yes. I mean, we all have stuff, yes. right? We all. They'll have other everyone. stuff at the therapist yeah, in yeah, their yeah. 40s, whatever. But um, <laughs> I, because I understand that personally and I can mm. see it in them and there's that that rejection sensitivity, which um, I think yes. applies both to ADHD yes. and autism, that real self-criticism. If you get any criticism, you like self-flagellate, like I knew it, I knew I, it, yes. I knew that. You know, yes. it's very um, painful. It's very painful. And people just think you're a bit, oh, get over it, you know, just take the feedback and you're like, oh, it's so shit. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so it's not sensitivity, is it? It's that it's you're real. you you're, overvalidate the yes, feedback. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris Varney, I am I'm it's been so, great, Anna. I just it's been, it's fun. been I've been so excited, I know. <laughs> and um I just it's really like I feel like we could talk for hours. We could. And maybe really at some could. point you might come back. I would what absolutely love to come back. Okay, well you're doing amazing things. Well, so. thank you. This is very, very dear to my heart now. So um, I don't feel like I can do much else. Wow. Good um, luck, Anna. Thank you, thank Chris. You I look forward me. to seeing you thank again. Thank you. Thank Good luck you. out there.